Hello, sunshine. I'm Alexi Lalas, and welcome to the State of the Union podcast, where we look at the beautiful game on and off the field through the lens of red, white, and blue-colored glasses. This show will be talking the U.S. men's national team camp Eh, let's call it cream puff. Uh, MLS versus USL, the Natty, Pulisic, Wea, Robinson, Vasquez, Stefan, DK, Pep, the Missouri Athletic Club, Mary Tyler Moore, Franz Beckenbauer, promoting American soccer, the national anthem, and so much more. But first joining me, as always, my friend, my colleague, my guiding light, David Mossy, a soccer savant and a Fox soccer researcher and writer extraordinaire. Mossy, we are, again, ships passing in the night. Uh, you went one way, I went the other way. I now come to you from our studio here in Los Angeles, and you are in <laughs> what producer Sean uh, over the last couple of days has referred to the natty. Me thinking, okay, Mossy's gone to Cincinnati for some reason, but evidently you're not in Cincinnati, but you are somewhere else for your Wolverines who are in the uh, the championship game, I guess it would be, in the uh, in the playoff final, right? Correct. I'm doing well. I'm in Houston, Texas. Uh, tonight is the big one, Michigan-Washington national championship game. I initially did not think I was going to go to this game, but uh, all my college buddies started texting me and telling me they were going, so it became sort of a college reunion type thing, and we're all going to the game, so... Uh, yeah, here I am. Uh, awful weather outside, so I don't know what that's going to mean for tailgating and stuff, but uh, the game is in a dome, so I uh, can't wait. Two quick questions. Um, one, how did you procure your tickets for this game? Uh, uh, StubHub. StubHub. And uh, did they make you pay out of the nose, or were they reasonable? Uh, out of the nose. <laughs> yeah, no, l- let, me, let me put it this way. If Michigan loses this game, uh, this will have been one of the worst decisions I've ever made in my life. Uh, all but, right, so, all right. Well, that's my second question. How are you feeling as a Wolverine getting ready for tonight? Uh, as the game approaches, more and more nervous. I, I, you know, after we beat Alabama in the Rose Bowl, I felt pretty good about things. But then, you know how I am. I'm, I'm a pessimist, so I, I always eventually work my way towards thinking we're going to lose. So I have a terrible pit in my stomach. Uh, Washington has a great quarterback. And I don't know, I could see him having a legendary performance. I think we're the better overall team, but the best player on the field will be on Washington. So that's always scary. All right. Well, look, we'll have a wonderful, uh, wonderful time there. A couple things before we uh, we get into the uh, the show here. Um, I don't know if you saw this, Mossy, but um, the, uh, the uh, U.S. national team, uh, the junior national team, uh, singing the national anthem, just absolutely a wonderful scene. Not, not if look if you're into hockey or not, it doesn't really matter. Just a wonderful scene of, of these young men uh, after having won uh, the uh, the uh, the world championship, uh, singing the national anthem. Now, I only bring this up because obviously there was, you know, the national anthem is a hot button issue when it comes to sports and certainly coming off of uh, the Women's World Cup and the women's team and all the different stuff. I only bring it up because um, it's fun to see it. It's nice to see it. And even if you are the most jaded and cynical out there, if you are looking at sports right now and representing your country going forward, and whether it's the men's national team that we talk about constantly, the women's national team, this is something that you might even if you don't even care about it. I hate that you don't care about it, but even if, again, if you're just being cynical, this is something that you might want to lean into. And the reaction from people out there to see it, uh, it, it warms my heart, but also makes me a little bit sad that this is what we've come to uh, in, in this day and age where we are having to point out and praise and celebrate what was once normal. But congratulations to these young men, not just on the ice for everything that they did, but you know, 
the the way in which they celebrated it. I do think it was authentic. There were people crying in the stands and it's just a nice thing to see going forward. And here's to seeing more and more uh, men and women who represent what I feel is the greatest country in the world um, in the sporting capacity, recognizing that this is a wonderful moment of unity and it can be a wonderful moment of, uh, of, uh, of unity. You know, that's the, that's the good. The bad is Mossy, we come on air and before we, uh, before we do light this candle, uh, we should say that uh, the great Franz Beckenbauer has passed away as we came on air. This news came down the uh, the, the channels. And so uh, just a wonderful, wonderful player who fundamentally changed not just the way that the game is played, but in doing so, the way that we look at the game uh, with that position and the Kaiser and the way that he used that type of sweeper position in a way that hadn't been seen before. Wonderful ambassador for the game. Uh, I met him over the, uh, over the years, obviously uh, from an American perspective, playing in the NASL um, and has meant so much to not just German soccer, but soccer all over the world, including here in America. So our condolences but also uh, our incredible thanks for everything that he did on the field. And he continued off the field having, uh, having wonderful success and being involved in the game. So uh, the great Franz Beckenbauer dead at the age of uh, 78. Mossy, shall we light this candle now? Well, just on Beckenbauer, you know, he's one of three men to win the World Cup as player and coach. Uh, the other two, Didier Deschamps and Brazilian Mario Zagala, who passed away a couple of days ago. So we bid farewell to... Two legends in the last few days. Yeah, sad news for sure. Oh, wait, before before we do light this candle, have you watched anything? Because I know sometimes we get on planes and stuff like that, and it's conducive to watching different things. So anything you want to let the folks know about? Yeah, you know, I finally got Hulu. I don't know what took me so long. And so I've been binging only Murders in the Building and The Bear. And, and like both, The Bear is phenomenal. Next level. One of the best TV shows of the last few years. Only Murders in the Building is delightful as well, but, you know, a little bit sillier. Uh, but so, and I'm probably going to do Reservation Dogs next. So, yeah, getting a Hulu account has opened me up to a, a whole bunch of shows uh, that uh, were missing from my resume. It's, fu- it's funny you said that because I've ho- held off on getting Hulu uh, too, because, you know, as you know, with the whole streaming thing, there's just, there's so many and there's always another one that you can get. But I over the years have heard so many people talk about this on Hulu and that on Hulu. And now you have this whole treasure trove, if you will, of Hulu content that you can go through. And I'm jealous. I mean, they're going to get me. They're going to get me. I'm going to, I'm going to have to pay. So I'm going to do it. Uh, A couple of things that I watched uh, over the last week, uh, new over there on uh, Netflix society of the snow which is actually Spain's submission for best international film when it comes to the Academy Awards. Uh, It's about the um, Uruguayan um, air crash into the Andes uh, that featured um, or that uh, that included the uh, Uruguayan rugby team. It's been written about. There's plenty of books. uh, There are documentaries, even films in the past. Back in 1993, the uh, the film Alive with Ethan Hawke. Uh, This is pretty incredible in the way that it is shot and obviously very graphic, not just with the airline uh, crashing, but, you know, the, the big part of this story is that, you know, these people for 70 plus days that were on this, um, that were on this mountainside, not being found, obviously had to resort to cannibalism and eating uh, the, uh, some of the uh, folks that had passed away in that accident. So all of that and all the different things and, you know, how they were treated and all all that kind of stuff. But I think it's worth the, worth the time. I'm not sure it's better uh, or worse than alive or than certainly some of the documentaries out there, but it's still, I think worth your time. And then the other thing was uh, I went down to Mary Tyler Moore 
uh, rabbit hole. Being Mary Tyler Moore is on HBO and just a wonderful look into this incredible woman and what she did in front of the camera and behind the camera. And then, then I start watching Ordinary People, which is one of my favorite movies ever with Donald Sutherland and Mary Tyler Moore and a really de- a departure from Mary Tyler Moore. And then I get into The Falcon and the Snowman, which I know I've talked to before that, uh, that, you know, that has uh, Timothy Hutton. So I just kept going into all these different um all these different movies. Tim- Timothy Hutton also was in Ordinary, Ordinary People. So that was the connection there. So there's a couple of things that you might uh, want to watch. Maybe you've watched some of them. Maybe you haven't watched some of them. So, all right, now, Mossy, should we light this candle? Let's do it. All right, where should we start, my friend? The MLS offseason is percolating. Uh, a couple of big moves in the last few days involving FC Cincinnati, one incoming, one outgoing. Miles Robinson joins uh, Cincinnati from Atlanta. While Brandon Vasquez, it looks like, will be leaving Cincinnati to join Mexican side uh, Monterey, both Robinson and Vasquez, uh, U.S. internationals that a lot of people expected to end up in Europe. So these moves are generating lots of reaction. What say you? All right. So when it comes to Brandon Vasquez, I mean, the Brandon Vasquez thing is a let's be honest, it is a function of the the restrictions and the regulations and the rules uh, that we know we can debate, but they, they exist in major league soccer in that. I don't think this is as a player that they necessarily wanted to lose when I'm talking about Cincinnati here. Uh, but this is a, a situation where they couldn't pay him enough. All right. Because of the MLS restrictions, they don't, they don't enable unless you do massive things to blow up your team to pay him not just what they want to pay him, but ultimately what he deserves. And in this situation, I think that they are facilitating this move to Mexico because Mexico can offer him that unique combination of both the money that he deserves and that they can pay. Um, yes, to a certain extent, the adventure of going a different place and a different scenario and different um, circumstances, which is appealing, uh, and also heritage. We know that Brandon Vasquez with his Mexican heritage, uh, it, that might appeal to him. So I, I wish him well. It would not surprise me at all if he does well down there, but that, that also we see him at a certain point returning to Major League Soccer or even going someplace else. But again, we can scream and yell about the rules and there are yings and yangs and positives and negatives when it comes to MLS rules, but they do make you at a certain point, especially when you are successful and part of it is baked into those rules. They make you do things that you don't necessarily uh, want to do. The Miles Robinson thing is interesting because... You know, you know, damn that injury that he had, because the trajectory that Miles Robinson was on was one of not just, I mean, the starter for the national team before he had that Achilles injury, but also well on his way to making that, I guess, big move over to a big club uh, in Europe. That's how well thought of he was. Obviously, the injury has kind of derailed him, although he kind of played out this contract. Um, it also should be said a lot of this is relative to free agency. So um, thank you. And I guess you're welcome to all the players in the past and the off field folks that have worked hard to establish these types of uh, rules and opportunities for these players to do these uh, do these things. The discussion, Mossy, when it comes to Miles Robinson, and I want to get you in here on uh, on this is, is this a lateral move? Obviously, it's within Major League Soccer uh, going to, I think, a better team in Cincinnati, a team that I think benefits from a miles miles robinson and is this a come down is this should this looked at be looked at as a lot of people are looking at this as miles robinson not challenging himself and not doing what he needs to do keep in mind 
um, that by all accounts, there is not a bona fide or a quality offer yet that we have seen publicly for Miles Robinson that would make you say, hey, listen, I'm going to drive you to the airport when it comes to going over to Europe. Yeah, you know, people toss the word Europe around as if playing for Real Madrid is the same as playing for a mid-table Scottish team. (laughs) I'd like to know what the options were for both Robinson and Vasquez so I can properly judge the choices they made. Um, You know, I will say, though, if they had opportunities to go to pretty good destinations in Europe, uh, it, it is interesting that they made these choices because both Robinson and Vasquez are right at that age where if they were going to have any sort of career in Europe, it probably needed to happen now. So I think Robinson is signing up for a Walker Zimmerman type MLS lifer career, while Vasquez is signing up to be Hercules Gomez. I have heard with Vasquez that maybe this is a stepping stone to Europe uh, and that he thinks Monterey might be a better launching pad. But that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me because MLS has actually embraced being a selling league to a much greater degree than Liga MX. It's actually been a big topic in Mexican football that why aren't they selling more players to Europe? So whatever you think of the relative strength of those leagues, the evidence in terms of their approaches to the transfer market points to MLS actually being the better launching pad to Europe. So I think both these guys, you never know. I could be wrong, but with the decisions they made in the last few days of staying in CONCACAF, probably bid farewell to really having any sort of substantive career in Europe. So yeah, it is an interesting conversation to have, especially in terms of their national team prospects in the coming years. And as we said before, going abroad is easy. There are flights leaving every hour on the hour from LAX to JFK and everywhere in between. But going to that right place, and I'm talking mostly about Europe, going to that right place in Europe, to Europe, to your point, Mossy, that's that's much harder where you are comfortable on the field, where you have a coach that values you, where you have a team that values you, where, where you are playing, where the other 22 and a half hours are good and positive for you. And who knows, maybe your, uh, your significant other and your family and your kids and all of that kind of stuff. And the grass is not always greener. I look back and I think of someone like Eddie Pope, who I guess was famous for a lot of things, but one of the things was he never had that European experience. And it, it, it's not that I or anybody necessarily put an asterisk up next to Eddie Pope, but there is there are folks that scratch their heads as to why that happens. But Eddie, Eddie Pope was as good as anything that we have ever had in terms of center back for a national team and as American player. And I sometimes think that, that us players, both the players and the fan base out there. If, if I was a, a, an agent, I would say, Hey, just get on a plane, fly to Heathrow, touch that tarmac and then come back. Because in doing so, you almost gain this instant credibility among people. And from a practical perspective, I think your value does increase simply by stepping over to Europe, which leads us into some other moves, Mossy. And just to give a bit more context, uh, Miles is 26. He turns 27 in March. Vasquez is 25. The one rumor we heard with Miles was Ernie Stewart taking him to PSV, but I'm not sure how concrete that really was. And then with Vasquez, Borussia Mönchengladbach did want to sign him in the summer. Cincinnati wouldn't sell. It's not clear. They actually ended up getting PFOC instead. It's not clear if, if they were back in for him in this window or if somebody else of that level. So, again, I, I will say, though, before we move off these two guys, the, the one person who does seem to be increasingly buying into the fact that uh, there's value in doing it in Europe is Greg Berhalter. Mm-hmm. He wasn't that way in the first cycle. Uh, to your point, if Miles Robinson hadn't gotten injured, he probably would have been a starter 
at the World Cup, even being an MLS player. We saw Jesus Ferreira start a lot of games. The squads were chock full of MLS players. But Berhalter 2.0, so far in this cycle, uh, most of the squads have been virtually all European-based, only one or two MLS guys. So that's the one thing you would look at for both Miles Robinson and Brandon Vasquez. Although Vasquez, going to League MX is an interesting curveball because I do think Berhalter holds that league in high regard. So it'll be interesting to see if he does the same thing that he was doing in MLS and League MX, how that will change the perception of him. But, but specifically with Miles, the evidence does point to the fact that if you want to be a big part of the U.S. national team for the next couple of years, playing the Copa America, the World Cup, et cetera, uh, your chances would be higher playing in one of the top leagues in Europe. Yep. It changes it changes the perception, even from some very smart people. And and I'm not saying that it shouldn't. And I'm not saying that it's actually not uh, it's not true. But every case is is individual. And I don't think that if you're taking Miles uh, Robinson, for example, that this precludes him or anybody else for that matter. If they are playing in MLS or if they're playing in uh, Liga MX um, or if they're not playing, let's, I, I just say, that they're not playing in Europe, it doesn't preclude them from being on the national team in Greg Berhalter's eyes or anybody else. I don't think he just summarily just washes away anybody that's not over uh, over in Europe. But I do think that there is a finer look and a finer eye to players. Uh, whether that's fair or not, that's a whole other debate. But in the way that he looks at players now going forward. And, uh, you know, so we'll see ultimately uh, if, uh, if Robinson or any of these other players are brought in. Who else, Mossy? So two players who went to Europe failed and now are coming back to MLS. Uh, both signed with Colorado, Zach Steffen and Georgie Mihailovic. Wow. So I think these are two very different types of situations. However, let's just talk in general about Colorado. Colorado, I think if you had to put a power rankings of the most maligned and criticized uh MLS teams out there in terms of their, I guess it would be ambition rankings, right? Colorado is always or almost always at the top of people's list. So that they are going out there and spending money and getting players of this type of quality, that is a good thing. Now, is this a small little blip? I don't know going forward. Now, the specific players that they brought in, we know that Boy, talk about a fall from grace when it comes to uh, Zach Steffen. And, you know, he's, he's had his knee problems and, uh, and, and injuries along the way. But there was a time not too long ago where this was the put-it-in-pen starter for the national team in goal and all of the things that he did. Now, this is a return, obviously, to Major League Soccer for him. He knows what he's getting into. What does Zach Steffen look like? The, I guess, what does the 2024 version of Zach, Zach Steffen look like? And is this another situation where we know that Tim Howard, by the way, came back to Colorado and was good? Was he great? Not necessarily. But you're going to need Zach Steffen to really show all of those years and all of those experiences as up and down as they were. And at times, as much as I guess you use the word uh, failure, as at, at times that it was, you know, failing. Is he a better option than somebody else? Now, when it comes to Jordy Mihailovic, you know, they're spending what? $3 million. And this is the perfect example, Masi, of touching down in Europe, returning, and in increasing your value. And well played, Jordy Mihailovic, okay? Now, I know from a career tra trajectory perspective, you might have wanted it to go better. But you increased your value. 
Are you that different a player than when we saw you a few years ago for your experience over in Europe? Maybe you learned, but would you have learned anyway had you continued on? I don't think you are that much of a different player that now they're paying, what, $3 million for you to come, uh, to come back to uh, MLS and to come back to the Colorado uh, Rapids. But you played them, my friend. Well done and kudos to you. I am surprised that things didn't go better for him uh, at Azed Alkmaar. I, I, I like Mihailovic as a player, and I thought that league would be a good fit for him. So, so the way this has all played out has actually surprised me. Not so much with Stefan. I, I've never been a big fan of his, to be honest. And, you know, this is vindication for Stu Holden because when Stefan first signed with Manchester City, U.S. fans on Twitter were thrilled about that. And Stu Holden came out and said, I think this is going to be a bad move for his career. And Stu's been proven right. He got attacked on Twitter for that take. But uh, there's no question he was right. Stefan barely played for City and then had some loan spells with the likes of Dusseldorf and Middlesbrough, which didn't go all that well either. So, uh, yeah, I think with, with Stefan, I, I, I don't mind using the word failure. I think he spent several years in Europe and it just did not work out. He never found a, a, a good home. And so uh, we'll see if he can reignite his career in MLS. Well, the moral of the story is that Stu Holden uh, is the proverbial blind squirrel that catches a nut. So well done, Stu Holden. All right. What now, Mossy? So against the backdrop of all this news, the U.S. also named a 25-player roster uh, for this January camp, which is going to culminate with a friendly against Slovenia in San Antonio. All 25 are MLS players, 15 are uncapped, 13 are Olympic eligible. Uh, I don't know if you remember this, but after the last Gold Cup in which uh, the U.S. sent a quote-unquote B-team filled with veteran MLS players and got knocked out by Panama in the semis, we were both lamenting that the U.S. no longer sent its best players to that tournament, and we were debating what could be done to give some meaning to that competition. And I suggested that if they're not going to send your best players, perhaps the U.S. should have sent an under-23 team to the last Gold Cup and use it as preparation for the Olympics. You kind of scoffed at that. We know you're not the biggest fan of youth development. Uh, but that does seem to be the approach here with this January camp. Uh, do you mind it as much here? This is not a FIFA window, so you couldn't have uh, brought back the guys from Europe. And so rather than a roster filled with veteran MLS types, if you're going to go that route, would you rather have this sort of squad and use this as preparation for the Olympics? Yeah, I'm okay with that if that is the desire. Um, now, the messaging of this has has been kind of, from, from U.S. soccer, has been, yeah, this is kind of what we are, uh, we are doing. And look, the, the Olympics, I'm, I'm excited about seeing this Olympic team, but I'm excited about seeing the Olympic team as it relates to the next few years and in what I've said now uh, on multiple pods here that I, no matter what happens over the next couple of years, there are no sacred cows. I want these players to be challenged. Does this get me excited, this roster in and of itself? No, no. But, you know, even in the best of times, Mossy, this is Camp Cupcake, right? So we were debating as to, you know, what we call this version of Camp Cupcake because it's not really... A cupcake. So, you know, we're we're looking at it more like a cream puff or a little kind of pastry, you know, maybe with a little cream or chocolate in it or something like that. But it's not it's not even a cupcake. And so I can't think of a time. And again, you mentioned it's not that I hate development, Mossy. It's that I don't want to see how the sausage is made. I don't care. Ultimately, I want the the final product. So I can't think of a time when there has been more apathy um, relative to a national team 
roster. All that said, uh, how many of these players do you think that we will see you know, this summer with the Copa America, let alone 2026? But the reality is that you only want a couple of them to rise to the occasion. And I will say this, this camp, whatever you want to call it, is actually, for a young player and an inexperienced player, an incredible opportunity and advantage. Because as we know, most national team camps are two or three days, maybe a little bit longer, right? And when you're flying, you're doing all the different things, it gets narrowed down. And getting in front of Greg Berhalter and his staff is huge. And so not only are you in front of him, but you're in front of him day after day after day. And they're going to get a real clear idea of what you are in January of 2024 as a player. Not just a quick glimpse that most camps are. So you better grab it with both hands, all right? Whether you are a, uh, you know, a James Sands, who, who knows what the national team program is right now, or uh, a Jackson Reagan from Seattle who's coming in and has no idea and has zero caps, uh, or other players around here that has zero caps, you better put your best foot forward so that when that camp ends, you've planted that seed in Greg Berhalter's brain that, you know what? This is someone that if, if we bring in in the future, we're confident they're going to come in and they're going to take, uh, take that opportunity. Remains to be seen if any of them ultimately do, but I do think that there is a general sense of why should we care about this game and about this collection of players relative, uh, relative to the national team. And it should be noted, Miles Robinson is on the roster, a guy we just talked about. But yeah, some of the names that jumped out at me, Aiden Morris, fresh off winning MLS Cup, Jack McGlynn, Atencio, Diego Luna, Duncan McGuire. So there are some players I'm excited to see. Uh, and there are some interesting omissions. Kramaski is not on this roster. Brian Gutierrez, Jay Neal, although that might be fitness related. Uh, but yeah, so I, I don't mind the younger Olympic type approach. Uh, we'll see. Uh, to me, that's actually more interesting than if it was just a bunch of sort of veteran MLS types that I don't think are going to be a big part of the senior team and are too old to play in the Olympics. So we'll see how it goes. Yep. All right. Uh, moving on. What ne what's next? Well, I mentioned that the, this camp is uh, outside the FIFA window, so they couldn't call any of the big names from Europe. Speaking of those guys, uh, we had Copa Italia last week, Juventus hammered Salernitana 6-1, and Timmy West scored a sensational goal. Juve then beat Salernitana again in, in Serie A a few days later. Both McKinney and Wea started that match. So good vibes all around for the Americans at Juventus. Oh, it's, it's, it's just wonderful. It's wonderful to see. Again, you know, Timmy Wea has been, uh, has been injured for him to come in. And I know, look, this is a game that it was, it was easy. But still, the goal that he scored was not easy. So in the context of the game, you can say it's a, th it's a, it's a throwaway. But... I mean, it's one of the great goals that you are going to see. He gets this thing, he turns, and there's only one thing that he's doing. And it was that wonderful combination of power. So it wasn't just a straight rocket, okay? But, but it had power, and it had speed and velocity. But it was a controlled speed and velocity. It wasn't a beach ball type of effect. And, you know, I think, I, again, I've talked about Tim Weah and how important I think he is going forward. And how sometimes, especially in the Geo Reyna conversation, how we're, we're trying to find different ways uh, to use him and places to play him. But I think right now, unless something dramatic happens, he's got to be on the field for the U.S. So it's nice to see him uh, 
scoring goals and and Pulisic in terms of uh, what uh, what he's doing. Just the whole you know the whole Italian uh, you know celebration, American celebration that's going on is wonderful. Yeah, Pulisic uh, continuing his strong campaign as well. He got an assist uh, to Rafael Leon in a Copa Italia game against Cagliari, and then an assist to Triori in a Serie A win over Empoli. So he's been doing it in the assist department lately. Yeah, I mean, look, I don't, I as long as he is involved, playing healthy, which he is, all of those, all of those different things. I think that, I think for a lot of these players, you know, we had talked last week about, you know, Geo and places for him to go and. I think for a lot of the, these players, the way that the game is played in Italy right now is really conducive to the way that they play the game. And again, that 90 minutes is great, but what, what happens in the other 22 and a half hours oftentimes dictates what happens in that 90 minutes. And I just think that they're in comfortable places where they enjoy, they enjoy the soccer, they enjoy their team. And ultimately, they enjoy this culture and this change of scenery that they have. When it comes to Christian Pulisic, is he a changed player? I, 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 don't, I don't think so. All right, Masi, can I just uh, say something here? Uh, over there on the old X machine, uh, a guy named Martin Mulcahy uh, X'd me. And this was in reference to our own account, our own so- uh, Fox Soccer account, where they, uh, yesterday and, and over the years, um, promoted and were excited and celebrated an American player. In this case, Christian Pulisic. You mentioned the, the goals that he's scoring, the assists that he has. And in response to that, Martin had said, Fox has zero rights to Syria. What other country has one of their leading networks advertising, let's be honest, about above, uh, average numbers for a player? No ARD and ZDF do not go nuts when Tony Cruz or Florian Wirtz or Pascal Gross do well. So, Marty, dude. All right, listen. Uh, we've been doing this for years. And by the way, to your point, um, it happens elsewhere. All right, this is not a uniquely American thing that's, uh, that's going out. But you're, you're bent out of shape because Fox, in this case Fox, um, is celebrating and promoting American soccer players doing well. Really, that's the hill that you want to die on? Not that, not that we need a reason to do so when I'm talking about Fox or anybody for that matter to promote American players, but not for nothing, but you know, Fox's broadcasting as we, as we mentioned, the Copa America next summer and the world cup in 2026, among other things that we do, which is going to feature a lot of these American players. So from a pure business perspective, I know that you can see you're a smart guy, Marty. I know that you can see why we would do something like this, but even above and beyond that, all right, when it comes to Fox, Obviously, we've invested in soccer. We are invested in American soccer. And when good things happen or when American players do good things, you're damn right we're going to celebrate it. And this stems and comes from this insecurity that we talk about all the time. You're worried that this doesn't happen around the world. Well, first off, it does happen around the world. But even if it didn't happen around the world, who the hell cares? This is awesome. This is awesome. And it doesn't mean, by the way, Marty, that if and when these players aren't playing well and we're talking about it on Fox or anything else, that myself or Carly Lloyd or anybody else out there or Mossy when we're talking about this on the pod aren't going to be critical of these players. But, you know, there's a little peek behind the curtain. This is not some nefarious type of um, 
uh, shilling that is happening when it comes to Fox soccer or anybody else out there. All right, Mossy, I, right, Mossy, I just had to get that off my chest. Well, much to Martin Chagrin, we're going to celebrate another American player now. Uh, <laughs> Daryl DK, after nine months out due to injury, first game back, scored for West Brom and an FA Cup win over Aldershot Town. Uh, you said in your holiday wish list that you wanted another center forward to emerge because you're not sold on Balogun and Pepe. I brought up Josh Sargent recently. You kind of brushed that off. Uh, what about DK? Could he be somebody to work his way into that mix? He is He is unique. In this, in a, in a little way that the, the Brandon Vasquez was, um, in that he brings something completely different, and and it's not just about his size, but just I mean, just the the way that he attracts players. And I'm so happy for him. And again, he's gone through you know this this injury process, and it kind of stunted that trajectory that he was that he was on. And you could tell. I mean, he tweeted after the uh, game the picture of him celebrating. You could tell that this was a load lifted off him and that this was kind of the the culmination of this um this rising from the ashes that is Daryl DK. So I'm here for it. Uh I I, I to your point, Mossy, I want others to rise to the occasion. But if it's the return um and the resurrection, I guess it would be of some of these players and they can do what they have done before, but also be even better going forward. I don't know if that's the case when it comes to Daryl DK. I'm here for it, and I'm happy for him. Uh, despite what Marty thinks, I'm happy, and I will celebrate an American player scoring goals and doing well, regardless of where that is. That is it. All right, uh, let's take a quick break, and when we come back, we got a really special uh, segment. I went out to St. Louis to the Missouri Athletic Club, so don't go anywhere. Okay, welcome back. Uh, really special segment here that we want to play for you. I spent uh, last couple of days over in the great city of St. Louis. We know what St. Louis has been from a historic perspective when it comes to soccer and what it is right now. Uh, I went to the Missouri Athletic Club, 120 years old, the Missouri Athletic Club storied history when it comes to uh, that city and what it is meant to soccer, uh, where they were once again handing out the Mac Herman Trophy Award. This is for the best male and female collegiate player of the year. Uh, I talked to a bunch of different people, uh, including the ultimate winners when it comes to Florida State University's uh, Onyechigini and Clemson University's Usman Silla. I also talked to their coaches in Brian Penske and Mike Noonan, respectively. And we actually had a visit from the St. Louis head coach, Bradley Carnell, about everything that has happened with St. Louis. And I just think that's really, really interesting to hear not just these collegiate uh, players in terms of their soccer, but also the way that they think about collegiate soccer. And in particular, when it comes to the uh, coaches, the way that they think about soccer. Thanks again to the Missouri Athletic Club for hosting me and bringing me back to that incredible um, ceremony and awarding. I am a past winner and an incredibly proud winner of the Mac Herman Trophy Award. All right, without further ado, check this out.
All right. I hope you enjoyed that. I had a blast uh, and I'm so appreciative uh, and thankful that uh, they have included me over the years here when it comes to the Missouri Athletic Club. They do a wonderful job of presenting this incredible award. I was as, as impressed as I was with these men and women uh, on for what they have done on the soccer field, I was equally and at times even more impressed with the incredible men and women that they are off of the soccer field. Because while we uh, talk so much about, again, that 90 minutes, that other 22 and a half hours uh, is important in terms of raising not just good soccer players, but good people that are go- going to go on and lead you know, countries and businesses and, you know, whether it's our own country or any place out there, be the leaders going forward. And so it is in good hands. We talked to a whole bunch of other people. uh, And thanks again to the uh, uh, Missouri Athletic Club for setting up the studio, the State of the Union satellite studio, if you will. Uh, We talked to Bill McDermott, Mr. Soccer himself, Mike Sorber, my former teammate from the U.S. men's national team, and all of the other candidates. They are all different, uh, but they are all fun interviews. And I think you really enjoy it. So if you want to hear the rest of those interviews, go to our YouTube page because they will all be up there. And again, thanks to uh, all the participants for coming on the State of the Union. All right, let's take another quick break. When we come back, it's time for Ask Alexi. All right, welcome back. It's time for Ask Alexi, that part of the show where you send in your comments, questions, and concerns. Keep in mind that our 
Handle out there on uh, the social media platforms is SOTU with Alexi. Use that hashtag Ask Alexi, or you can call into our State of the Union podcast hotline, which is 657 549 2297. 657 549 2297. Mossy, what do the folks want to hear today? Uh, first up, Chopper on X asks, What is your favorite soccer league to watch outside of MLS? Ooh. This is uh this is interesting. All right, so we take MLS off the table, like you said. Um, I think it would have to be the Premier League for a number of different reasons. One, uh, I think they have great presentation. Um, so just the aesthetic and the the optics of it um, are good. They're um, they're bright. They're contemporary. Uh, they're interesting. Obviously, a lot of it is taken from American uh, American sports, um, whether it's Monday Night Football or the pizzazz and all that kind of stuff. I also think that the relative team parity, and I know you have a separation, uh, but when you look at it uh, in terms of Spain, for example, or uh, Germany, for example, or even Italy, for that matter, I just think that there's more parity. Not even close to MLS, we, we get that, but the possibility is that much greater that teams can win. And so I like that about it. Um, I also think that the EPL, and I guess it would be England, the churning of that tabloid narrative on and off the field, um, I think that is catnip to me and so many others. And they have really leaned into it uh, in terms of their, uh, their desire to, you know, expand globally, not just desire. I mean, they, they have done that. I also think that, I mean, purely from the fact that it emanates from an English language based culture uh, speaks, speaks to me. I mean, literally speaks to me. And I know that, you know, the Bundesliga and La Liga and Serie A and others have gone out of their way to cultivate the English speaking uh, countries and cultures out there, not just them but to, you know, be cosmopolitan and to be international. But I just think it's easier for um, the EPL to do that because it, I think it, it makes it more fun for me. Um, and like I said, easier for me to enjoy it. What about you, Masi? Uh No question. It's the Premier League for all the reasons you mentioned. The only thing I bristle at is I had an English guy on X recently tell me that we're not going to know if Jude Bellingham is good or not until he does it in the Premier League. So <laughs> there is that type of English fan, yeah. I'm sure you've come across him, that takes something that is factually true, the Premier League is the best league in the world, but takes it to such a ridiculous extreme. They act like the Premier League is the NBA and everybody else is the G League. It's not like that, but it is without a doubt the best and most entertaining and most compelling league in the world. Well, you know, this exists in, in other forms and and when you have an entity like the EPL that is so popular and undeniably popular and the most popular around the world I didn't say anything about quality but at least from a popularity standpoint um you know we see this in i don't know movies okay i mean you can you can be an incredible actor or actress in your own neck of the woods maybe it's not in english or anything like that but you know the academy awards and kind of breaking through when it comes to the english market we see it in music you know, with uh, a British invasion or artists from other countries wanting to have that crossover. Is it because American cinema or American music is better? No, but it's the most popular in English, <laughs> English language. So it, it's not surprising that the English would have that attitude. 
um, when it comes to when it comes to their uh, to their sport. I do think, though, it's a little ludicrous when it's a guy that's doing it at Real Madrid um, rather than someplace else. Anything else, Mossy, on this one? No. Uh, next up, we have a voicemail. Let's take a listen right now. Hello, this is Dave Greg from Northeast Florida, formerly from Michigan. Go blue, Mossy. Uh, two things. Thing one, saw a quote from Pep following his club's winning the Club World Cup, essentially saying that he has now accomplished everything that he can accomplish at Man City. Uh, next time you or one of your colleagues are interviewing him, perhaps you should whisper into his ear that if he wants a real challenge, he should take over the U.S. men's national team. Uh, but on a similar front, I very much want MLS to be a top league in the world, and I don't think that's going to happen unless two things come to pass. Number one, the top, top players in the world are going to want to come here to the United States and currently, a lot of them, I believe, are not coming because otherwise they would leave millions of dollars or millions of euros on the table by playing in MLS rather than in Europe. And thing number two is that the CONCACAF champions have to start to perform better at the Club World Cup. They cannot keep going out in the first round. Uh, your comments, please. Thank you much. All right. So uh, good question. Uh, and it's some interesting points here. First off, nobody used to be from Michigan. You're either fr- from Michigan or you're not. So you're always, you're always one of us. Uh, so, um, all right. So the, the, the thing about Pep, this has been talked about before about that next move for Pep. And has he, to your point, already conquered the club world and therefore the international part might be his next uh, mountain to climb. And certainly if he wants to, to climb a mountain, uh, the U.S. team would be one of it. It would have been interesting. Well, first off, does he price himself out of teams like the U.S.? Or does he do it from a much more altruistic, charitable, I guess it would be, at least from a com- uh, compensation standpoint, does he come at it where he says, I'm not going to make as much money and I'm, I'm, I'm okay with that, but I want the challenge? You could say that sometimes Pep seems like a guy who is searching for that challenge. And that would certainly be a challenge. Uh, It would have been interesting, like I said, had he been part of the conversation or available um, um, or possible when Greg Berhalter was was rehired. I, I will say, and every international coach will tell you, it is a very, very different animal, especially for a coach like Pep who is so hands-on and so anal about everything, but he needs control. And one thing that you don't have control or you have much less of it is when you are an international coach. Because as we mentioned earlier in this podcast, your time is so limited. So it would be fascinating to see Pep have to distill down to its essence and its most basic and most important form, whatever message it is he wants to impart on these players because he has day in and day out to grind them, if you will, in a club setting. And he doesn't have that if he would be an international coach. So just because he was a great club coach doesn't necessarily mean he would be a great uh, international coach, but I'm here for it. I would love to check it out and see, uh, and see what he wanted as, as it pertains to your MLS question. First off, I would push back in that 
I actually believe that there's lots of players that want to come to the United States or, or to North America. All right. I don't think that's the problem. As a matter of fact, I think that's the advantage that North America has over most places around the world in that there is already baked in and built in a desire to come and live. And in this case, it would be live and work for the players and for their families in what I feel is the greatest country in the world and in a place that provides, you know, for them and their families, uh, you know, all the different things that we talk about, whether it's, you know, uh, education, medical, social, all the different things that, uh, that we have. So I already think that that's happening to your point that they can't and won't get paid as much. Yeah, that's, that's true. Unless you're a messy, you're not going to get paid as much as you could make in many European situations. And let's be honest in terms of what Saudi Arabia and others are offering uh, for you there, that is going to change, but that is sure as hell not going to change overnight. So that's not uh, going to happen. I can't remember what his second condition was. Mossy, do you remember? Uh, doing better in the Club World Cup. Yeah. I mean, I, I, this is why I'm excited about the expansion of the Club World Cup. I think it's actually going to give us a much better idea of what these teams are. Previous Club World Cups have been kind of, you know, so limited in terms of the numbers of teams that you know, in a one-off types of game situations, anything, anything can happen. Now, I do feel that there is a distance and there is a separation between your Real Madrid's um, and, your, uh, and your other teams there. But I think it's going to be fun when Major League Soccer and other leagues out there have more teams in it. It's much more in a World Cup type of group setting and you have more opportunities to actually show, to show who you are. So I think maybe to your point, my friend, we will see a better representation of what these teams are. And I'm not saying anything's going to be different when all is said and done in that your Real Madrid's and your, your big teams over there aren't still going to, uh, to win. But maybe that domination in terms of the amount of wins or the eye test when you watch it on the field, will the, the pendulum will swing a little. It's not going to swing all the way over, but it might swing a little with this new expanded uh, World Cup, uh, Club World Cup. Mossy. The only thing I'll say on Pep, uh, I'd be curious to know what guys like Pep and Klopp and Ancelotti and Mourinho think of the U.S.'s talent right now. Yes, it's a challenge, but do they think that you could conceivably win a World Cup with the players the U.S. has now, or it would be mission impossible? Because those guys are all winners, and they're not going to take a job unless they think there's at least the possibility of winning the ultimate prize. So I would be curious to know what those guys think of the talent the U.S. has now and, and the talent coming up and sort of where the U.S. is at as a soccer nation. But this isn't this isn't taking over the, you know, the 50th ranked team in the world or something where there's absolutely no chance. And we know just in general, there's only a, a handful of teams that have ultimately won the World Cup. So winning the World Cup is difficult in and of, it, in and of itself. But I don't think it's ridiculous. I don't think that this is, you know, we talked to Thomas Rangan over, uh, over the break. I don't think that this is a Thomas Rangan type of situation where you're, you're taking a, a small, a small Island and has, that has absolutely no chance of ever winning the world cup. So I think it would be appealing to those because it's enough of, it's enough quality where things can happen, but it's not obviously the elite level. And as we said before, the, the pressure would be less, but the opportunity, I guess the ROI would be so much greater for someone like Pep to do it with the U.S. as opposed to doing it, uh, doing it with others. So maybe that, maybe that excites him. Maybe that 
floats his boat as it might others in terms of that challenge that is the U.S., where it's not completely out of the realm of the poss- of possibility, even though it has never been done before. Anything else, my friend? That's it. All right, let's take a quick break and we'll come back. We'll uh, finish up the show with my uh, one for the road. I'm going to talk about explaining MLS versus USL. Don't go anywhere. Okay, welcome back. It's the end of our show. And at the end of each and every show, I give you my one for the road. I put out a, uh, a uh, post over there on the X machine and asking this question, how would you explain to someone in America who doesn't follow American soccer closely the difference between Major League Soccer and the USL Championship? And for those that, that may not know, uh, Major League Soccer is sanctioned a Division I league in the United States. USL Championship is sanctioned a Division II professional league in the United States. Now, without getting in too much into the weeds, the United States Soccer Federation sanctions leagues. And there are a list of requirements and rules and regulation that you need to live up to in order to get that sanction. What is not included in any of the actual sanctions is the actual quality of the product on the field. So your sanctioning has nothing to do with how good or bad your teams are or your players are. And so if you, uh, when I ask this question, and I know that, you know, X is not a, uh, you know, it, it, is, it is at times an echo chamber and it's not necessarily a focus group, but it is interesting type of exercise to, to see how people think of these two leagues that I guess are in competition for the hearts and minds out there and have gone about it relatively differently in terms of their structure and what they are, you know, providing as a product. But they are both part of the ecosystem. They are both, I think, vital parts of the growth of the game going forward. And I've said, who knows, in the, in the, in the not too distant future, I would love to see a um, MLS USL uniting into one big soccer organism. But until that time, I got a lot of responses that said, you know, it's kind of like major league baseball versus minor league baseball. Although it's not quite like that because there is no affiliation between the two teams. And yes, major league soccer in their actual name has put major. Um, But I'm interested in what you think out there as to what the differences are. And do those differences make you think about the two leagues in a different way? And if so, why? Because there are wonderful players and wonderful teams and wonderful experiences that happen in USL Championship, even though it is sanctioned Division Two. And again, the, the sanctioning is relative to a number of things external and, you know, the size of the markets, the, um, the net worth of ownership, uh, the facilities that you have, all of these different things. But it has nothing to do actually with what happens, uh, happens on the field. And yet when we think about these, we put them in a hierarchy and oftentimes we equate it with quality. Now, I'm not saying that USL Championship from a quality perspective on the field, always is worse or better for that matter. I think in general, 
if MLS teams, and we've seen it in Open Cup and other uh, situations, if MLS teams played USL championship teams, more often than not, and for a, I think, much greater um, amount, they would beat USL championship. But it also doesn't mean that there wouldn't be some times where USL championships could find ways to beat, uh, to beat MLS teams. But uh, all, all of that is, is to say that as we go forward here in the game, you know, how we look at ourselves and what the game is, the professional game in particular, which is what I'm talking about, about here, it's going to bob and weave and it is going to morph going forward. And this is a constant battle for hearts and minds. And it is, and we've talked earlier in this pod about perception versus reality. Well, perception matters. And the way that these leagues are perceived relative to their sanctions um, are very different. But again, it has nothing to do ultimately with the, the quality on the field. And so it's going to be interesting going forward as to what USL becomes and what MLS becomes. And I guess in this day and age where uh, I want to make sure that everybody understands, uh, full disclosure, uh, my brother has work, worked for a decade for Major League Soccer, now works uh, for USL. And we argue and go back and forth all the time on things on and off the field. A lot of it and most of it has nothing to do uh, with USL. But I am interested as we continue to grow what the end game is for USL. What, what do they want to be? And are they content in their position by their Division II sanctioning or just by what they are providing as a product relative to Major League Soccer? And what those people who you are explaining to, how you would explain to them the difference between Major League, Major League Soccer. Are they better? Is MLS better? And if so, why? Either on or off the field, you can point to a number of different things and plenty of valid and fair things when you are doing that compare and contrast uh, with, uh, with the two leagues. But who knows? Going forward, uh, things may change. I don't think so. I think MLS has done incredible business over that last 30 years and has established themselves as, if you will, the major league. And USL, while uh, their business certainly has grown, is kind of in this position of being, I guess, the minor leagues in the way that people look at it. And again, in that perception, and that's USL's challenge, I would think, uh, is to change that perception if they even can. All right, Mossy, anything before we go, my friend? That is it. Uh, you know, you mentioned at the top that uh, you and I uh, have not both been in the studio for a long time, uh, but that will happen on Wednesday, my friend. Looking forward to it, uh, getting the gang all back together in one place again. So, uh, well, listen, my I'll friend, uh, have a wonderful time uh, for the rest of the day in your uh, in your pre gaming up to the big game tonight. I wish you and your Wolverines, despite my my wife's uh, affiliation with uh, Ohio State. I think there's a secret part of her that says if anybody's going to win, you know, maybe uh, it's okay for Mission to win. We'll see if they do. And you mentioned you're coming back here, so we will be in studio together this week for uh, for shows later on this week. And then we got some really cool stuff that we're doing when it comes to the U.S. Coaching Convention, which is happening right here in Los Angeles in Anaheim. As a matter of fact, we're gonna we're gonna bring the show on the road over there and do some things over there. So lots of stuff in store in this next week and going forward when it comes to the uh, the State of the Union. 
Good luck, uh, Mossy. Have a wonderful time out there. We'll see you back here in Los Angeles. Thank you to everybody for downloading and reviewing and rating and subscribing and doing all the different things that you do out there on all the different platforms that we uh, that we have. It's good to be back in the studio here with all the wonderful men and women that make us look and sound so great. We will talk to you again later on this week. And until then, and as always, my friends, size the... Yeah.